0: to say that the podcast your big questions get real answers my name is matt king i'm your host here in the city of chicago and joining us is glenn fitzgerald the founder of mission usa
1: i know that you are but what am i
0: a very existential question to start the show off as we come to expect from glenn also joining us the director of mission usa productions jed brewer
2: greetings
0: joining us all the way from rookers tennessee one of the pastors of christ community church lee younger
3: Take me to your pastor. Oh, wait, that was last episode.
0: <laughs> well, in a lot of ways, that's every episode, because we're going to be in space eventually, and these all have to stay on theme. We've got a great show for you this week, the last show of 2020, and I think we can all just enjoy that for a moment. We're going to do the last <laughs> several things of 2020. As it comes up, we got some great questions. We've got an interview with author Jack Eason about his book, The Loneliness Solution, which I think is a very uh, timely and... Uh, Good subject, had a good chat with him. Uh, But first, I'm forced to declare a pamphlet-based emergency. Oh, no. An emergency? (laughs) Now, despite the shock in Jed's voice and a very good acting job by him, this uh, originates on Jed's porch. And Jed, (laughs) would you like to walk us through the, the, the bit of
2: evangelical, in so many ways, literature you were treated to just this past week? I, I certainly can. Well, you know, um, uh, earlier this year, Hallie and I moved and, and, you know, we have delightful neighbors and, you know, so it's pretty regularly, someone will ring our bell and we'll go out and, and someone has brought us cookies. Like it, that's a, a true fact. It's amazing. It's lovely. It's beautiful. Nice. And so I, I went to my porch expecting something really delicious and I found delicious, just not the kind I was expecting. <laughs> In lieu of cookies or caramel apples or other festive treats, I found a pamphlet um, with a bright red printing job that goes, warning, 666 is coming. Written by none, or, none other than noted luminary Dr. Terry Watkins, THD. Mm. <laughs> wow. We, I have no
1: idea who that is. I
2: thought that was going to be a flyer for a Vin Diesel movie. I I would watch that movie. We begin the pamphlet—we're still on the first page—we begin with a quote from the Bible, Um, therefore that's how you know it's legit, because nothing that is Uh, not legit could have a Bible quote. The devil's never quoted the Bible. Not that I can think of. (laughs) I mean, I've never read it, so there's a lot in there I'm not clear on, but in any event, this comes from Revelation, and we are in the King James Version, which is the Authorized version. Mm, So, suit up, gentlemen. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Now, that's where we begin. That's our jumping off point.
0: You know, we make fun of the King James, but the three score really does class things up.
2: (laughs) All right. So we go from there and it just gets weirder from there. And you're probably thinking, Chet, that's not possible. We started at maximum weird. How wrong you are, audience (laughs) member. It gets way weirder than that. Here's one of the poll quotes still on the first page. Cash and credit cards will soon be obsolete, (laughs) writes Uh Omni Magazine, June 1991. How? Is this related to anything? You might wonder. I'm sorry. Did you say 1991? (laughs) Yes. You Uh, you have that correct. Uh, 29 years ago.
1: I was going to say I was 12 when that was written. That comes
2: below
0: the paragraph that starts. In the last few years, the world has taken a new form as the Berlin Wall came crashing down. (laughs) Somebody found some 29-year-old satanic pamphlets and just thought, you know who needs these? Jed Brewer.
2: Copy and yeah, paste. <laughs> well, but you know if you're a long term listener to this show uh I-, I think we need to deal with you know the fact that the call may be coming from within the house because right. if you're a long term listener to the show y- you know that I grew up around the anti rock people um those yeah. who who recognized the pure satanic threat of the rock and roll music, clearly and
1: causes nerve jamming
2: exactly right. At, uh, say that, laboratories, we do our research, y'all, okay? We don't just shoot mm. from the hip. We we okay. like to really get into it. And so uh, we we used our Wikipedia uh, to look up a uh, doctor. That's the name of our proprietary research software. Exactly right. <laughs> Dr. Terry Watkins, THD. And uh, what is noteworthy on his uh, Wikipedia entry, which is extant, which is surprising to me, really, um, is... His main thing is being anti-rock music for all mm. his other weirdness. That's actually the thing wow. that he's known for.
0: Now, Jen, and, um,
2: when you say rock,
0: do you have maybe a list of the acts he uh, put forth as the, the apotheosis of the satanic hard rock
2: music? <laughs> I'm glad you asked Matthew. Steal yourselves, gentlemen, for <laughs> we're about to review a rogues gallery from which you may never return. We're talking about such damnable stenches as Striper. <laughs> Amy Grant. Wait, wait, Watch what? Michael W Smith <laughs> and wait for it. Jars of Clay. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> Jars of Clay
2: I... could
0: functionally be called a rock band. Amy Grant? Yeah, didn't she sing a
1: song that went, baby, baby? Uh, Yeah. Well, she was talking about the spawn of Satan. That's what you don't realize.
2: So here's what I'm saying, gentlemen. First of all, Amy Grant is the devil. Secondly, the thing that we've got to look at here is, I think... I think that the old anti-rock community, I think they've found the Say That podcast. I think they've heard my commentary and realized that one of their flock has gone astray. Wow. And I think this pamphlet may be an opening gambit to win me back. Right. I think that's what we're dealing with. And here's the thing I have to say to them. Make me an offer. <laughs> Jed,
0: I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm on the website of this organization. Which is called, and this will tell you how much they're in the 90s, Dial-A-Truth
1: Ministries.
0: (laughs) I'm on their website. Not even
1: a push button, a dial of the truth. Yeah, Yeah, I'm on their
0: website, av1611.org, referring to the authorized version Mm. of 1611. On their Mm. page, Christian Rock, Blessing or Blasphemy? Ooh.
2: I'm going to go with Blessing? Was blessing the right answer? No, no, you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. I've been blessed
0: by it. Uh, Oh, and there is a no whammies, no (laughs) whammies about how evil Amy Grant is. (laughs) Man,
1: dude, dude, you gotta go a long, you gotta go past a lot of stuff to get to Amy Grant, dude.
0: The queen bee (laughs) of Christian rock is Amy Grant. Amy's song, Baby Baby, was unprecedented in gospel music history. Topping the chart as the number one spot in Billboard magazine. Is the secular world turning on to Jesus? Not hardly. <laughs> and then it describes the Amy Grant song, Baby Baby, as sleek and sinful. Ooh, Ooh wow. I would have said sort of catchy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. In that 90s pop kind of way. Now, let me ask you a, a provocative question, Jed, to kind yes, of please. you know get the parameters of what we're dealing with. Let's say somebody came to your your front porch wearing a nice sweater and a crisp pair of slacks, and they had some cookies and some brownies and whatnot. They said, Look, we, we made these for you. We want to welcome you to the neighborhood. We worship Satan. <laughs> <laughs> ha! 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 We really, really love Amy Grant and other kinds of heavy metal, and we really would like you to take these cookies and consider making Satan your personal Lord and Savior. (laughs) Would we be closer on that than we would bringing you back the other direction towards the fundamentalists here?
2: Well, A, that has to be true. I mean, there's no question about it. And B, Glenn, it's interesting that you use the word fundamentalist because, breaking news, we've made a discovery about Dial the Truth Ministries. Oh. If you do some digging, they are a part of the American Baptist Fundamentalist Church.
0: Okay. That is
2: four concerning words in a row,
0: (laughs) especially when combined. You said, tell us about your organization, and you used any one of those words, <laughs> I would be worried, much less yeah. all four.
2: <laughs> I mean, I've been around some weird church stuff. I really have. And it's 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 hard to, you know, um, for me to really notice. But American Baptist fundamentalist, I mean, that is going for it, yeah. dude. Yeah. That's like, that's the full
3: deal. You're swinging for the fences.
1: What what I love is is that Amy Grant is is the worst person in the world, but Vince Gill's fine.
2: Oh he's great. He's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: nice bluegrass music. Very that's talented all flat picker.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've read yeah, I've read the scriptures and how when the devil goes down to Georgia, you need a skilled musician to defeat him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that's right. <laughs> well, he was looking for a soul to steal. Uh, also, in late breaking news, we're noticing that one of the teachings of Dial the Truth Ministries is that Santa Claus is a form of Satan. Wow! Well, uh, well, yeah, all, how you got, that...
3: it's, all you got to do is move the letters around, Jed. Everybody knows
0: that <laughs> he's named after a saint. I mean, it's that's the guy, is Saint Nicholas. He was nice to the children.
2: You know, Glenn, I, in the spirit of, you know, the is coming to my door with with cookies and just being honest, you know, we'd yeah. love for you to consider Satan as your as your Lord and Savior. Yeah. I would love for these people to just be honest. You go to their website, it's just, we hate fun. Right. Whatever is yeah. fun, we hate it, and you should stop it. Like, I could yeah. actually, in a weird sense, I'm not going there, but I could respect just the honesty and the being upfront about it.
1: Just, yeah, you just went to the website and it says, we were picked last at every sport thing in school. Right. Yeah. And we hate everybody. Yes. We, you know, so that's what we're doing now. Like, be sad. Like, I would not, at at the,
3: the level of this, of what you're describing, I mean, calling out Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith, I'm surprised you haven't pointed out a page that says, The Video Game Oregon Trail is designed to tear your children away from the love of God. Into the worship of Satan. (laughs) If you have a three and a half millimeter floppy disk of Oregon
2: Trail, they are on the road to perdition. (laughs) You have shot 3,751 pounds of buffalo meat. Unfortunately, you are only able to worship the Dark Lord Baphomet. You have died I, I, of dysentery, but
1: Beelzebub will raise you. <laughs> <laughs> Just I can't get past the 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 dial element of this that we're <laughs> like you can update the name, dude. There's nobody. Look, I have dialed a number on a telephone sure. because I am a, an antique person. <laughs> but y- you y- You 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 can't be relevant with that.
2: Yeah. We know what's funny about that is apparently their website, uh, they first went online, like, with a website in 1995, which for real is really early to have a a website. I mean, like, that's... It looks like it. (laughs) So I love the combination of being really aggressive with technology in terms of your approach, but really antiquated in your nomenclature. That is an interesting combo platter.
0: Okay, I know we need to wrap this up. We know someone who is mentioned on this website.
1: Stop! Oh, we do. We I do. bet I
0: know who it is too. You're absolutely right. Friend of the show, friend of the bridge, friend to all. Uh, Glenn Kaiser is a wonderful man who's played, helps out a lot of music. Was in a band called the Res Band in the in the eighties, nineties. They were a big deal. They're a great band. And there's a whole chunk on this website about how there's no difference between Christian music. And non-Christian music, and it's just a thing. So, Amy Grant equals Joni Mitchell. Johnny Cash equals Danzig Beck Soundgarden et al., which that that sentence made me smell toast. But then, (laughs) DC Talk... Sounds like plays is the way they're using Doobie Brothers, Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, R.E.M. and all. No, it
3: doesn't. This what? person does not no, listen to
0: music. And then they say that the Res band, which if you haven't heard it, we will play some Glenn Kaiser at the end here, um, is, is very kind of blues rock amazing guitarist. Right. A lot of her compares them to Jefferson Airplane.
3: <laughs>
4: which
0: is
3: what? yacht rock, y'all. <laughs> Jefferson Airplane is just just milk toast yacht rock.
2: I mean, well, in in the spirit of, of the Jefferson airplane reference, I just want to ask, don't you want somebody to hate? Don't you need somebody to hate somebody to hate?
0: (laughs) Yes. As I was, I was to close it out and to take it back to where Jed is with just being honest and being interesting. And even if it's uh, satanic, it's better than this. Um, I was, I was Jed and I were involved in a Twitter thread fairly recently of uh, a friend of ours asking for recommendations uh, for a record of a band that, that we both like called the mountain goats. And we, we both ended up suggesting, which I paused to do this in a public forum, but one of my favorite mountain goat songs, one of Jed's, the chorus starts out with him yelling, hail Satan. <laughs> that is true. It's a song called the best ever death metal band out of Denton. And here's the thing. The content of that song is so much more Christian that anything we've encountered on this nonsense, yeah, it really does do my <laughs> head in just a little bit.
2: Yeah, man. Well, look, I know we need to declare an emergency off, but let me just say these guys are making a hard pitch to get me back in the fold. The jury is still out. This mm. may be my final podcast episode because I may have to declare you guys satanic. So I'm just Whoa. you know uh, want to okay. give you fair warning now. Yeah. Uh, so you know, with that in mind, Matt, I, I hand the emergency baton to you. Sure, I,
0: I do enjoy. As we declare emergency off, I may have to be declared satanic because I do enjoy the other horrifying two evil hard rock bands they mention on this site, like Buddy Holly.
1: Oh, gosh. Come on.
2: Well, I think
1: bebop a is like... uh... You know, like a satanic chant.
2: Yeah. I believe I can explain that, Glenn. Beluba sounds awfully close to Beelzebub, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. Just picturing
0: this dude sitting around in 91 listening to Buddy Holly getting angry because you know what gets stronger every day? Satan. <laughs> Lord, we are going to move on to uh, Bridgebox, which, as far as we know, Jed has not tried to stick any uh coded satanic messages into yet. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens after all this goes away, but you just get songs, sermons, lots of good stuff. We're still talking about being part of peace on earth here in December. And of course, join us every Tuesday at the bridge at facebook.com slash the bridge, Chicago at seven thirty central, where we are going to have our bridge live service. We're continuing to do that. continue to have a lot of fun. We hope you will join us. If you can't join us live, you can check it out. Archived at the videos tab over at facebook.com slash TheBridgeChicago. We'll jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously and says, I was talking to someone and told them I wasn't happy. He said happiness was fleeting and that I needed joy. I know they're right about happiness never staying around for too long, but it seems to me like joy and happiness are basically the same thing. Is joy just happiness about church stuff, or is there more to it, and how can I find more joy? in my life? And a great question, very similar to something we looked at on The Bridge Live recently. And Glenn, where would we start off?
1: Well, yeah, I think I'll let these guys kind of get into the, you know, the theologicals and the, the you know, the definitional stuff of uh, joy versus happiness. But I will say that... Um, I don't really like the tone that you're uh, of what's being told to you. It sounds a little dismissive of you know, um, you know, you 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 know don't feel what you're feeling, feel this instead. So I'm I'm not I'm not um, thrilled with that. So I want to introduce uh, people on, uh, listening to this to a, a ministry principle that we use in our uh, own ministry here in Chicago. So we have sort of a set of uh, training stuff that all of our staff go through, our volunteers go through it, uh, our deacons that we have uh, part of our service go through this training. And one of the things we cover in that is this concept, don't tell me what to do, tell me how to do it. Uh, anybody can sit around and just tell people what they need to be doing. You know, you tell somebody on fire, you need to put out the fire, uh, maybe use some water or something. But, you know, it's a different thing when you uh, show people how to do what it is that you're talking about. That's where the ministry begins is, how do I actually manage that? Uh, so if they're not telling you that, they're they're not really, you know, helping you. Uh, so, we want to get into those how you do that. We want to look at how this works. I think it's important to start when we 're talking about you know here 's a here 's a virtue here 's a positive thing of joy that you don't have it 's important to understand why we don't have that i mean just as a as a philosophical point, I want you to think about. The fact that joy is free, God gives us joy freely, uh, it is also unlimited. So, there's an infinite supply of it. It's free. And you can receive it right now in this moment, in this very second. So, it begs the question why is it that we don't always have a whole bunch of it? In other words, if I was saying you can have free money anytime you want and just come by and just, you know, whatever you can fit in your pockets, you know, just go for it you you would be accessing that regularly, like a lot. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you would run out and you'd go get you some more. You know, you, you would just walk around with none if there was free money somewhere else. So why do we, why are we at a deficit with joy? Why are we poor in the area of joy on a regular basis? I think that's a big, big question we need to ask ourselves. Because I think we tend to think, well, circumstances go haywire in Kind of put us in a position where we're, we don't, they're taking our joy away. And I think it's more that we're giving that joy away. And again, these fellows can unpack some of that. But I want, before I hand it off to them, I want to give really one big guess that I want us to look at, one big area that might apply to the largest number of us. Let's start by looking at. The process of trying to get something you feel like you are owed, you have some sort of a grievance, you have some kind of uh, a—somebody has wronged you, somebody has uh, done something that has cost you something, and you feel like you need to settle that score, you need to even that off, you need to get something that you didn't get before. I think that's where a lot of joy leaves the building in in that right there. It's tough to access joy in the midst of that. And you you may have had a real loss, you may have had a real trauma, you may have really you you may combine those negative feelings. Very honestly, I have been up to my eyeballs in those feelings many times in my life, for large very large chunks of my life. Uh but I think it's very tough to fit joy into that same space. So the struggle to try and, you know, make up for something that was lost means that we are missing blessings that are available right here, right now, mm. and we're we're not accessing that joy that's available to us in this moment.
0: A really, really good place, a solid foundation to start that off with. And Lee, where do we take things from there?
3: I, I want to pick right up where Glenn was I, where he, Where he left off, I love this word that he said accessing um that that's a fantastic word because you know that that's a it 's a hopeful word to me it, It's the idea that it's there for the taking that there's that there's something there that i can that I have access to, and I can decide to take hold of it um, you know when you look at what the scriptures say about joy there's there's a whole lot of there seems to be a whole lot of uh, of choice involved, and that and that corroborates the things that Glenn was saying about it being an unlimited uh, unlimited supply of something that flows into you. That God has an unlimited supply of joy that He freely wants to give to you. Where you know you see in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, when we talk about theologically, what does the scripture say? The Apostle Paul is saying, "Rejoice!" I'll say it again, "Rejoice!" In, in John chapter fifteen, Jesus talks about. What it means to remain in Him, and He says, like in in something like ten verses, He says eleven times, "Stay, remain, abide in Me, and I will abide in you." And at the end of that little uh, section, He says, "I'm telling you all this so that My joy could be in you, and that your joy would be complete." Um, when I when I see stuff like that, it it, it makes me realize that that joy is something that God really has an interest in giving me. It's something that he wants to give me for free. As Glenn's saying, there's an unlimited supply of it. I have access to it. So then my question becomes, okay, if God wants to give me this for free, if there's an unlimited supply, if I have access as a person who knows Christ, then what's holding it back? And that is an awesome question like if god wants to give me a free flow of unlimited joy then is there anything that's pumping the brakes on that is is there anything that's that that's that's kind of locking the door to that joy that joy flowing into my heart into my mind into my into my life experience and i think that is a really cool place to think about it's a really cool direction to go um let me give you just one example of of something that could maybe be stemming that flow, that something that could be holding back that flow of a free joy from the Lord, something that I've noticed in my own life. And that is, which Glenn gave us a great example in in his response. But an example f- that I would suggest is the example of pride. Uh, Glenn talked about entitlement, holding back joy. I think that's exactly right. I think pride holds back joy as well. Yeah. Um. Because pride is a, it's, <laughs> Pride gets tentacles into a lot of different places in your life. Pride leads to insecurity. Uh, Pride leads to, uh, well, I didn't get the appreciation that I thought I was going to get on that. I thought I was pretty awesome in that moment. And so now I'm not able to enjoy something that the Lord wanted to bring into my day. My experience has been when I decide to quell pride and embrace humility— then I don't have to protect myself all the time. I don't have to protect myself from the way other people think about me or other people feel about me. I'm able to, to, to serve people and, to, and to, to make myself a servant of you and other people in my life. And the funny thing about that is when I can quell pride and embrace humility, I'm able to laugh at myself. And I'm telling you what, there is a gift when you are able to see what's funny about yourself, when you embrace yep. humility, and joy flows freely at that point. When I, can, when I can, by the Lord's strength, set pride aside and embrace humility in the same way that Glenn was talking about setting entitlement aside and embracing gratitude, then joy flows in. I think what we're dealing with here is we have certain valves in our life where we are closing off the free flow of the joy of Christ. He wants it to flow into our life, and then we've got certain things like entitlement, like pride. I think, I think we could make a great case for fear being another one of those, mm-hmm. that when I'm in, afraid of being in trouble or I'm afraid of what might happen to me in the future, then the joy of the Lord is not able to flow in. What we want to do is to, to recognize and isolate those valves that we're turning that's just stopping the free flow of the joy of the Lord. And when we specifically look at, at, at those verses I was mentioning, and, and you should keep us honest. Go and read John 15 for yourself and see what the Lord is saying to you about what it means to remain in Him, what it means to love Him and His commands, what it means at the end of that whole paragraph where He says, I'm calling you my friends. I don't want anything to be in between us. Um, I want to remain in you. You remain in me. My joy flows in you. When we can can set aside things like entitlement, we can set aside things like pride, when we can learn how to set aside things like fear, I think that joy is going to just flow in freely.
0: I totally agree. That's great stuff. That's really, Lee got all over that. Jed, I'd love to get you to close this out, and I think Glenn and Lee did a great job on joy. But I, I want us to talk about happiness, because as right. Glenn mentions with the tone, and this is not just on your friend. I think a lot of Christians hear this and think it sounds very holy to say, well, you know, happiness is whatever, but you should focus on joy. And I'm not sure that uh, acknowledges the fact that God wants us to be happy, too.
2: <laughs> yep. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do a real quick uh, mini Sunday school lesson and then we'll, we'll kind of get back to the meat of it. So uh, happiness is a feeling. Um, feelings come and go. All feelings. No one can hold one feeling in their heart for all times. And feelings in general have a lot to do with your circumstances. Um, if someone cuts you off in traffic, you're likely to feel anger. If someone gives you a cupcake, you are likely to feel happy. Um, but again, feelings, really all feelings are, are fairly fleeting. They, they come and they go. Feelings also critically, and this is something that's important to remember, feelings are neither right or wrong. Feelings don't have a moral quality to them. They just, they just happen, and that's perfectly okay. But it is worth noting, of course, that some feelings are way more pleasurable than others. Feeling regret is no fun at all. Feeling happiness is super fun. And God definitely does want you to experience happiness in your life. When we talk about joy, we are talking about a virtue. A virtue is something that comes from God. We don't generate it in ourselves. It isn't based on circumstances. It's something that we receive from the Lord. With that said, God cares about your happiness. God Mm. wants you to be happy. No one is going to be happy all the time because happiness is a feeling and and no one has a life where there's only one feeling going on all the time. There's no such thing as that. But God does want you to be happy. So it's worth asking what leads to happiness. And in fact, there are psychologists who have studied this, who have looked at What leads to happiness in people's lives? And three of the things that they commonly land on that 100% are biblical, which is really cool that happiness research and a biblical approach to living say the same things, are community, purpose, and growth. That the more that you have a strong sense of community in your life— The more that you have a purpose to your life that's bigger than yourself and the more that you are growing as a human being, that you're evolving as a person, the more that you have those three things, the likely you are to experience happiness in your life. As it turns out, God wants you to have community. And God wants you to have purpose and God wants you to grow and evolve and stretch as a human being. So there is no disagreement here at all. God wants you to have joy, but he also wants you to have happiness. The question that I would encourage you to really ponder is how are we doing at pursuing community and purpose Mm. and growth? You know, um, a lot of people want to win the lottery, but uh, not everybody's buying a lotto ticket. There's a lot of people who you know, wish they could play in the NFL, but not everybody is actually you know, going to the tryouts. There are things that lead to happiness, not perfectly because there's no such thing, but how are we doing at pursuing those things? And if the answer is maybe not that great, the good news is you can get better. You can get better at pursuing community. You can get better at pursuing purpose and pursuing growth. And as you do that, we are confident that you will experience more happiness in your life, and we are confident that the Lord's joy is there to give you strength, even in those moments when the happiness hasn't quite yet caught up.
0: That is all fantastic stuff, and I do want to agree and reiterate Jed's advice that if you want to be happy, you should buy a lottery ticket and try to tackle somebody. <laughs> um, I think I caught the gist of it. Uh now, all these guys really, really got all over that. If you want some more uh stuff on that, including a sermon from myself, from our friends Miss Sarah, and uh from our deacon Hector, you can check out our uh December fifteenth Bridge Live service where we talked about uh covered a little common ground talking about joy and happiness on that. We are gonna move to our say that interview. I got the chance to sit down and talk. With Jack Eason about his book, The Loneliness Solution, Uh, obviously coming out 2020, a year where there was a lot of isolation, a lot of us were cut off from community, rethinking what that means to us, maybe got a vision for how important being around and being connected to other people was. I was really happy to get the email from the publisher about uh, somebody who's writing a book about loneliness. It's an idea that goes, in my mind, especially before 2020, uh, well under-discussed and a a pandemic in its own right, a lot of people have said kind of in the the years preceding. So talk to Jack about that. It was a great chat. We're going to take it to that right now. So I I love the the topic of the book, and I would assume that you started looking at this in a pre-COVID world. So even before that got drawn in the front, why why loneliness as a topic to tackle?
5: Yeah, uh, man, that's a great question. <laughs> a, a lot of people that I've talked to, are like, man, you are you are brilliant. Uh, how did you know that we were going to be in the midst of a pandemic when the book came out? Uh, and I'm like, no, I, I'm <laughs> not brilliant. That's that's definitely a God thing. No, the the uh, the manuscript was actually turned in last year in December and originally the the idea that i had for the publisher was really more about the power of community how we can work together we're stronger together we're better together which they love that uh and they came back and said Here, here's the question uh are, are we actually together i thought that's a great question so i started um, looking to see if we were together and uh, man we're we're not just uh, really has nothing to do with with politics, uh with what's going on, you know, right now, we are divided politically. But what we're a lonely people, I mean it looks like we're connected. And then I discovered, you know, the biggest generation, uh, 18 to 24 year olds, perhaps the most connected on the planet, uh, but yet they are disconnected when it comes to finding real meaningful relationships. So I was like, okay, wow, if we're gonna actually discover the power of community, yeah, we got to figure out how to get together and overcome this hurdle of loneliness.
0: It's an interesting, in you know, the, the title of the book is "The Loneliness Solution." And I, I, as you're describing that, there, there's is an interesting kind of linguist, linguistic quirk going on. Of, I'm, I'm racking my brain for just a direct opposite to the feeling of loneliness, and I can't really. You would never say I feel and just one word for, I feel not alone and connected, but obviously that's, what we're driving at. So if we can't put a necessarily a clinical term to it, what would you say is a hallmark of a good, healthy community—those connections, that kind of thing—you're driving at.
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think you're right. Uh, the op- The opposite of being uh, lonely, I would say, is is community. Uh, and the reality is, you know, we we are wired for community. Uh, I, I would say God made us for community. Uh, it, it's, I, I think, He even made us all—we're perfectly made in His image, but uh, as far as his perspective, if I could play God for a minute, uh, I think he made all of us lacking in some degree so that we would have to depend on one another and, and therefore experience community. Uh, part of the research for the, for the book, one of the, one of the quotes I came across that just really, really rocked me for several weeks, I actually stopped writing and had to really think about, is this heresy or is this actually truth? And the quote was that sin was not the first problem mankind faced. Uh, solitude was, hmm. uh, and so you start reading in Genesis, and you find out that's actually true. Uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone, uh, to be in solitude, to be lonely. I'll create community. I'll create woman, and then the family, ordaining the family. So community is a big, a big deal. So I think you're right. I think community is the opposite of being lonely. I think togetherness is the opposite of being lonely. As far as what does that look like for? for a healthy community. Um, you know, I, I I go to the early church as far as the the most healthy community. Um, you know, now we find ourselves in in the 21st century and a lot of my young millennial Gen Z friends go, well, I've been there, done that, tried that. You know, it doesn't work. Um it, it does it does work. Um you may have to navigate through several communities to find the healthy community for you. Um, but, yeah, I think some of the benefits, just, just real quick listing a few, I think some of the benefits are real friendship. Uh, I mean, the the power of prayer that you experience in community, that knowing that uh, you have the the ability and the privilege to meet one another's needs happens in community. That's, a lot of those things, you know, the, the great um, joy of corporate worship happens in community. A lot of those things can't happen when you're by yourself. Um, But the joy of all that can be really felt if people, uh, you know, individually, if we'll be willing to make an investment into finding real connection and real community.
0: That's a really, really interesting point. Um, But I think there are probably also uh, other aspects, and maybe particularly if we turn to, to the church, that even if they are in person, have the same aspect. I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of people's answer to a friend who said, I, I feel lonely, would be, well, come to church, there's people there, which can be a good thing. But uh, as you're describing, in the same way of just getting on a device and being a feed isn't the same thing as real community. Neither is necessarily just going to, to a place when you can do that or joining things. Now, I know you do a lot of work with people in that leadership role. What are some things you think the church misses about community and some ways they could think about that better.
5: Yeah, a great, great question. Well, first of all, I, I uh, unfortunately the church is, is is failed. I mean, we're we're flawed people. You know, you've heard the saying. I know many people listening maybe have heard the saying before. Um, you know, I can't find a perfect church. Well, if you found a perfect church, it would be imperfect when you walk in the door because there's no perfect people. So we're we're flawed people. Uh, and we, we, I think part of, again, technology, I think the advancement of our culture, um, we expect things to happen quickly. I mean, I can leave my house, go to the, to the bank, uh, get food at a drive-through window, do, do my uh, laundry, drop it off at a dry clip, do all that without leaving the comfort of my car. So it's just boom, 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 really quick. So I think friendship should happen that way because I can click and you know add or subtract friends at will on Facebook so my my life should be that easy but no it's not i mean that's not where you really find true uh relationship friendship so for for the church i think we've got to do a better job of explaining what real friendship is uh i i i uh, i i think that's what uh, gen z millennial i think that's what we're all looking for is real community authentic you know uh, genuine real people who will love us unconditionally um, but but the problem is you know so so there's a, those are some things that the church should do. We should be aware of that. We should be trying and striving to be that kind of community and uh, holding holding those that we need to accountable to to replicate that kind of community as as again, the early church did in acts.
0: I think that's a that's a really great point, and maybe a a closing practical tip, I think. You're absolutely right that if you if you're the person who feels the need for a community then um, all practical things are going to follow putting in the effort, putting yourself out there, finding something to do. But let's say we're on the other side of that. I'm I'm a small group leader, I'm just someone who's who's at a church or at a, a faith community. What are the things I can do to make this a welcoming place for someone who is taking that first step and let them know this is a place where they can find that?
5: well I, I think real you know uh, real relationship starts with uh knowing that people uh l- love uh love and are concerned uh unconditionally uh which is which is kind of the the foundational part um where there is uh, authenticity, you know, there's realness, there's genuineness. I think that's a big part of it. I think the other part that, that really is missing, I think, in our culture for sure, and maybe to a large extent in the church, is, is accountability. I, I, I think in, until we hold each other accountable, we'll never have the, if I can use this word, pu- pure kind of community that is a, attractive to people. Because they come in and they're like, well, this is not really what they say it is. It's not what we say it is because we haven't held people accountable to the standard that we want. Um, so, you know, e- even in, again, the church or small group community, it's, it's um, holding people accountable to what you want to accomplish. And that doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have several friends that hold me accountable. I know they love me unconditionally. Accountability doesn't happen without relationship and friend, real relationship and real friendship. Uh, and they're in a desire on the part of the person who is being held accountable of wanting to grow. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't want to grow as a person, then you're not going to be a fan of accountability. Uh, but I think those are a couple of things, uh, Matt. And then, and then I think the other thing is, and this is another word in our culture, unfortunately, that's lost a lot of meaning. And it's family. It's really being a family, not not just a relative bloodline family, but but spiritual and, and friendship family. We had a small group, just quick story, in our house for about three years. We found out one of the couples, uh, he had served in the military and gotten involved in some kind of biological chemical warfare. Stuff had happened to his body. He came home. Uh, insides were all messed up. He couldn't keep a job. Uh, he and his wife had four kids. Long story short, over that time at our home, we found out they were about to be evicted from their house, uh, foreclosed on. They were probably five, six months behind on their mortgage. Well, our small group of about 25 people uh, pitched in a basket over the couple weeks, you know, without them knowing. Uh, all of us gave different amounts. Some people gave a lot. Some people gave what they could. Uh, long story short, again, we, we presented this basket to his to he and his wife. The next week and uh and they were just weeping, and I remember him asking this question he, he was just in tears He said i why 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 would you guys do this?" And here I am, kind of the small group leader, pastor pastor guy. I couldn't come up with a quick spiritual answer, and somebody in our group just just leaned forward and and, and kind of blurted out, "Man, that's what family does. Mm-hmm. we're family, we're family." and I thought, "There you go." There you go. There you go. And I think that's what people are looking for. Now, again, the hard part is if you're looking for that, you're never going to discover it until you, it may take repeated attempts to find that kind of community. Because again, that kind of community will hold one another accountable to be that kind of community. And so some of us want that kind of community, but we don't want any commitment. You know, I want all the love and I want people to do things for me and I want, uh, authenticity, and I want to be unconditionally loved. But I, w- when it comes to what I want, I can walk away. Well, th- and that's a one-sided relationship.
0: That's a, that's a a really interesting point and a a beautiful story and picture of what real community is. I think a great place to end it there. Jack Eason, thank you so much for joining me.
5: Yeah, Matt, thank you for having me.
0: All right. I want to thank Jack Eason for sitting down with me. The book, again, is The Loneliness Solution, available Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. If you can find a Borders, maybe they they have one of those. Of course, if you find a Borders, it might be haunted at this point. So probably don't <laughs> go in, but wherever you buy books, you can find that. We hope you check that out. It is certainly worth the read. we we'll are move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, 2020 has sucked comprehensively. Amen. Which is yeah, definitely one way to put it. I think 2020 is going to be better, but I have a hard time convincing myself of that. Is there a way to make this might suck less because it pretty much has to a more positive or hopeful outlook for the new year? And a, a very cool question. You've already heard some agreement. We definitely agree with your assessment. We're going to look at the uh, what to do from there. And Jed, where would we start it off?
2: We totally agree. We totally understand. Uh, Let's start here. In life and in the Bible, throughout the Bible, there are good years and there are bad years. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are years that are defined by pretty good circumstances and years that are defined by pretty bad circumstances. Uh, The the Bible was uh, written by people, many of whom lived in agrarian societies. You don't have any control over how much rain falls, man. Um, You know, uh, you're, you're trying to grow crops. Some years you have a bumper crop. Everything's great. Some years, nothing comes up at all, and it's super, super bad. So I think the first thing that we want to say is it's easy when things are rough to think there will never be good years again. It will always be like this. But that's not true. Um, there are good years coming because that's just the nature of life on planet Earth. There are certainly better years coming. Um I hope that 2021 is one of those. And in fact, my hope for you and for the rest of us is that 2021 is as amazing as 2020 was not. But either way, there are better years coming because that's just the nature of life on this planet. That's definitely true. But the question that I have for you to think about is, do you know how to make the most of a great year that is ultimately coming? Mm, Yeah it's easy. Here's the thing that I want out of a great year relief. I just, yeah. I just want things to stop sucking. That's, that's what I want, but that is a good place to start in terms of thinking about when a good year arrives, but it's not really the place that we want to land, uh, because an absence of bad things is not the same as the presence of good things Right, L- like at all. And so again, I, I want to ask you, Will you know how to make the most of a good year when it arrives? And there's a biblical example to this. If you want to go back and reread the story of Joseph, who ultimately became the second most powerful person in Egypt, a lot of the work that God had for him to do was figuring out how to make the most of really good years, because there were some not so great years on their way. And so that same question is before you. I'm actually going to give you a question that Glenn gave to me a long time ago that I have thought a lot about, and I want you to ponder it. There's not an immediate right answer, and there's not supposed to be. But I want you to imagine that God said to you, if I gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? I want you to think about that. Mm. To be clear, God's not going to give you a million dollars, and he's not offering that. But suppose that he did. If I gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? I want you to think about that because for most people, for most of us most of the time, our, our immediate thing is relief. I would find all the things that bother me, and I would stop them from bothering me, which is a fine place to start. No judgment. I would do the same thing. But A, that probably wouldn't cost a million dollars, and B, um, all we've done is get life to a zero. We haven't moved anything to the positive. We haven't really helped anything. We haven't built anything. We haven't done anything. We've just turned the suck knob down. If God opened all the doors that you want him to open in your life right now, what would you do with them? Mm. What, what would it look like if you started walking through them? Their stuff, it may not be a million dollars. I hope that you are a deep enough person that you want other things other than a million dollars. I'm not. I'm totally stuck on the million dollars. <laughs> but I, I hope for you that, that you want deeper things. And if God said, you know what, next week, the answer is yes to all of it. I'm giving you all of it next week. It's go mm. time. What would you do with it? How would you handle it? Logistically, what would you do? What, what's what's the plan? And I know that it seems cruel to think about that when things suck so hard. I know that there's a temptation to feel like, look, dude, if you want to give me a million bucks, do it. Otherwise, quit asking me because it's just – it's a mean thing to think about when everything is so difficult. Here's the thing. If we aren't planning for when things get good, we're not going to make the most of it. Amen. And so. That's really the thing that I want to kick back to you is, yeah, good times are coming. I hope 2021 is, is one of those good times, but either way, good times are coming. But what are you going to do with them? How are you going to turn those around into making the world a better place? How are you going to turn those around into loving other people? What would God be calling you to do in those good times? I think the more that we can dig into those questions, the more we're going to be ready when those good times come.
0: Absolutely right. I, and I hope there was a moment when a young Jed Brewer thought that maybe this was some kind of weird Willy Wonka situation and Glenn was going <laughs> to actually produce a million dollars <laughs> <laughs> and be like, that was the correct answer. Uh, a lot, a lot of great stuff from Jed on that one. And Glenn, where do we take it from here?
1: Well, I want us to start. I love the stuff that, that Jed's saying there. Cause I, I think it is worth, asking you know are are you easy to bless <laughs> you know can can blessings have an impact on your life and i think that that sort of bridges me over to thinking about this question do good circumstances have the depth of impact the 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 emotional impact do good circumstances have the emotional impact that bad circumstances do mm. So just take how strong the feeling is when you can't pay rent. How strong the feeling is when someone turns you down for a date, or uh, you uh, you know you apply for a job and you don't get it. Just how bad is that? And then on the on the plus side, when 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 good things happen, is it is it as big of a plus on that side? And I I don't know about you. Maybe you and I are very different people, but it's very hard for me to think of any good circumstance that has the amount of emotional impact of a bad circumstance uh it just you know there's something about a bad circumstance that rattles me right down to the core of my soul makes me doubt everything makes me you know angry in ways that are all consuming frustrated in ways that are all consuming but you give me a good thing you know the the girl says yes to the date or the job says you're hired or you know you the you know the money comes in and you can pay your rent and and it is that feeling of like okay what do i do now now i got to figure out where i'm going to take this girl is Ah, you know, I gotta figure out. I gotta, I gotta take a bath. That's one thing. You know, and you know, I gotta check my armpits and everything. This is got this. What a hassle this is turning out to be. You know, just the 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 details of life start creeping into good circumstances, and and sort of mitigate them and minimize them and. It's very different somehow, and not as strong, and not as powerful. And of course, this is not good. This is not right. This is not healthy. Bad bad circumstances take us down in a way that good ones don't quite take us back up. And that means we're going to be at a net negative. Just if I have as many good and bad days as as each other, you know, if it's fairly balanced in that, I'm still going to emotionally not be in good shape. Uh, So. It's not just the circumstances, it's the way that we process going through tough times. Uh, the grip that that has on us, the, the the amount of how overwhelmed we get by that, those things need to be uh, looked at and arrested and interrogated, and we need to begin to find, I think, and this would be the central point that I would make on this, is we need to begin to change our relationship with uncertainty. Hmm. I need to change my relationship with uncertainty. Uh, up until up until this pandemic, my relationship with uncertainty is I hate you. Uh, <laughs> and uncertainty says, "I think I hate you. I'm not sure. Can you check back?" And I I say, "That's typical of you, uncertainty. You know, you you're not even sure if you hate me." So. Uh, you know, I have a bad relationship with uncertainty. I don't like it. I don't want it. I, to the extent I have it in my life, that's the, the, the extent to which I am irritated and displeased. I've now come through a year where almost every, the answer to almost every question I can think of to ask is we're not sure who can say. And, um, I've realized that I've been faced with a choice, and I'm sure you have as well, of I can either let this completely drive me insane or change how I view uncertainty. Uh, If I think of it as a curse and a negative thing, uh, I'm always going to be in bad shape. But I need to try, and I, I challenge you to try to look at uncertainty and say, things are always uncertain, and there's always something going wrong, and there's always something going right. It's it's much more about what I put my focus on. And uh it it is it is very difficult for me to tear my focus away from a negative thing to look on any positive thing, and that needs to change. And I think that's a that's a thing we only work out with God, yeah. where we go to him and say, I need something supernatural inside me to change so I see these things differently.
0: It's a really, really great point and well put. And Lee, where do we close this out?
3: I I love where these guys have have taken this. I, I really only have one other thing to drop in here and and that is that when I <laughs> when I look at at the general suckitude of 2020, a lot of this has been circumstantial. A lot of this has been literally a virus that spread around the world and changed the way that we live our lives. But I want to talk about something else for a second, which is there's plenty of the suckitude of 2020 that had nothing to do with the virus whatsoever. And it had to do with the fact that Christianity has made a giant stink in this world. Yeah. And there may be something that I can do in 2021 to fight against the darkness. And I want to find out what that is. And I want to get in it, man. I like, if the name of, not that I'm going to turn it around completely, but in my scope, in my little world, in my community, with the people I can, I want to find the places that I can impact where the name of Christ has been completely misrepresented and misaligned. And I want to get in, into that fight, and I want to fight against the darkness in 2021. I want to be somebody that fights for the poor. For the foreigner, for the refugee, for those who have been, um, for those who have been hated because of sexuality, because of dysphoria, and 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 just all kinds of things. People that have been cast aside, people that have been misunderstood. And I want to be a person who has the kind of radical acceptance and friendship and kindness (laughs) that would smell anything like Jesus Christ whatsoever. There's been a lot of suckitude from 2020 that's come from the virus, but we all know there's been a whole, whole lot of suck that has come from just Christians. And I want to do whatever I can to get into the reversal of that in any way that I can in my community. I live in a small town in the South. It is fertile ground for, turning some, of that, for some of that, turning some of that around. I would encourage you, um, I love what these brothers have said, I would encourage you in 2021 to look for a good fight and get into it and, and change the way somebody in your community sees people who claim to know Jesus Christ.
0: All, all beautifully, beautifully put. I love uh, what these guys are saying. The thing I, I would tack on to the end here is I, I think about this idea is as as it, it actually ties into control. It ties into uh, the things that that uh, Glenn said about um, uncertainty. It ties into what Lee was saying there. Um, there's been a lot of this year that I don't know if, if you feel the same way I did, where it feels like a lot of all I did was just existing. There was a lot of fill in space and there was a lot of waiting and not doing much and not feeling like I was just really moving forward, even in small ways. And here's the thing that was okay. And that's going to be okay in 2021. And I think learning to look at how small those, those good things could be, but they were still good things. I am, as I often am reminded uh, about a quote by uh, my one of my favorite writers, Frederick Biegner, who said, "The grace of God means something like this: Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are." Mm. Um, in 2020, there was a lot of, not a lot of great stuff happening, but some good stuff happened, and it was better than not being. to To be has been a blessing this year, and if it can be a blessing this year, it can be a blessing any stinking year. From here on out. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, especially on this episode where I think we set a personal record for the number of times we said suck in one show. And that's only (laughs) with two question segments, which is pretty good. And if ever there was a way to send 2020 out, it is by talking about suckitude quite a bit. If you have a question for us, you can write us and say that podcast at gmail.com or the slash ask You can head over there. If you want to keep it completely anonymous, we're going to tell the song this week. It's only fitting that we take you out with a song from dial the truth ministry or whatever it is. I already forgot where it is. Um, <laughs> list of the most wanted. We'll take you out with noted evil rock person, Glenn Kaiser and his version of what I'm sure is a very evil satanic song called "All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name," <laughs> which is from a record called mm-hmm. "Homes for Heroes," which he made to support homeless veterans, like a real jerk. You can find that on <laughs> Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music. To so you that, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To
1: we'll say that podcast, proud to be closely associated with and totally standing by musicians that are attacked by weirdo fundamentalists. <laughs> That's Amen. right. That's right. <laughs>